tonight on Ithaca Now. Two WICB news reporters hopped into the Ithaca dispatch cabs to learn more about the people behind the wheel. I think the service that taxi drivers provide helps the city, the state, the city to stay safe. A correspondent visited the Cayuga Heights Fire Department. Uh, out front, we're doing pumps and generators. Uh, in the back parking lot, we've got saws, chainsaws, and the K-12 rescue saw. We look into affirmative action and how one current judicial investigation intersects with many college students' journeys. So this idea that unqualified minorities um, are, are taking away opportunities from qualified people ignores this history in which men and white people in general have had, uh, you know, what Chris Rock wants to, likes to call a 200-year head start on the rest of the population. And we spoke with Sarah Warner, who's helping produce a play focused on climate change. I came to understand just how dire the climate crisis is. And that actually inspired me to talk with Godfrey about making that the focus of our class. All that and more tonight on Ithaca Now. Good evening and welcome to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Hannah Bracinger. Thank you for joining us. For tonight's show, WICB correspondents give us a glimpse into the lives of Ithaca's taxi drivers. But first, we'll turn to Quinn Theobald and Lily Deerworth with this week's Community Beat. The Ithaca Police Department surrounded a house near South Hill Elementary School on Monday, and it caused a temporary shutdown of part of Hudson Street. South Hill Elementary was in the perimeter of the police activity, and the school released their students through the back entrance out of safety. After the suspect on Hudson barricaded himself on the second floor of the house, the SWAT team was called in and took the suspect into custody. The Cornell Student Assembly voted Thursday to defund Cornell Cinema, and tension is still lingering between Cornell, the Student Assembly, and the cinema staff. The vote came down to 19 in favor to defund Cornell Cinema and 5 in opposition. Although the Student Assembly will no longer fund Cornell Cinema, the university will provide $36,000 for this next cycle. In a Tompkins County Legislature meeting this week, two organizations were credited for helping homeless children in the area. Family and Children's Service and The Learning Web focus on helping children acquire food and shelter and for reunifying them with their families. Tompkins County still has around 500 homeless children. And, in the future, both of these organizations plan to improve emergency facilities for these children. Cops, Kids, and Toys is a Tompkins County organization that is gearing up for this holiday season. Each year, they give presents to children who are in need and who live or go to school in Tompkins County. This volunteer-driven group started 27 years ago, and this year, around 1,300 children will get gifts. The application deadline for families was this past Friday, and on December 19th, the toys will be organized into different bags for each child in the Trip Hamper Marketplace. The town of Romulus is deciding on whether to build a new power plant, located where the previous Seneca Army Depot was. The proposed plant would bring waste into the plant and burn it through furnaces to generate energy. Some local environmental groups are concerned because the plant would require a huge water intake from Seneca Lake. The town's planning board will discuss this proposal at the Romulus Fire Hall on December 4th at 7 p.m. Governor Cuomo announced the opening of a new housing development on Hancock Street this past Wednesday. The four-story building used to be a grocery store and office space, but has been completely transformed. The $20 million development will have affordable space for low-income families and a STEM workshop. Funding for this project came from New York Low Income Housing Tax, the Community Preservation Corporation, and Tompkins County. For Lily Deerworth, I'm Quinn Theobald, WICB News.
Most of us are familiar with the bright yellow cars that take us from point A to point B. But what about the drivers behind the wheel? This past week, WICB correspondents Madison Fernandez and Sarah Herbakowitz took a ride with four different Ithaca dispatch taxi drivers and asked them some questions along the way. Some people put value in what kind of car they drive, like a Ferrari or a Porsche. But we spoke to some who put value in who they're driving, so much so that they've dedicated their whole career to it. Car 10. This week, we went along for the ride with four different Ithaca dispatch taxi drivers. They've spent their career gathering years of wisdom and a lifetime of stories from different people who've hopped in their bright-colored minivan. One driver we rode with was Margaret, who's been driving for a bit over a year now. I started driving a month after I graduated because I needed a job yesterday. And uh, it's a fantastic way to get to know your own community meaning both uh, physically as well as socially. Another driver, Randy, was just looking for a steady income. I just, I love to drive and I needed a supplemental income. It's easy to just get in the car without knowing who your driver is, but we wanted to find out more about who's behind the wheel. I used to be a chef. I used to play classical guitar. This is a a very demanding schedule, um, this job. Um, I do go, I'm... I'm into health, so um, I spend time at the gym. And uh, other than that, I mean, most of that fills up my time. That was Wayne, one of the Friday night drivers. And this is Dennis, a Friday morning driver. We moved here from Rochester because my daughter finished her uh, residency and fellowship at Strong Memorial. I'm a sports fanatic, so I watch a lot of sports. I'm a 30-year recovering alcoholic and addict. And I do take it upon myself at times to try to impart a little bit of wisdom. And uh, maybe you never know what something might say might stick with somebody and make a difference. But these drivers didn't just talk about themselves. All the drivers, like Margaret, told us what they've learned from who they're driving. It's about the story. People are put together by stories. Margaret said that she doesn't just get paid in fares. She's also paid in stories from her passengers. We're also serving the public at large with all their needs. Taxis are called upon by uh, the well-heeled and the well-educated as well as the very poor. And that's a very interesting perspective that you develop that way. Margaret wanted to share more of her stories with us, so she met with news director Peter Champelli in the WICB studio after our drive. In our cab drive, when you were driving me to the airport last week, you just said a bunch of interesting stories, first of all, just like your experiences. There was a student who uh, I picked up uh, at the hospital, and uh, he needed to go back to college. And in the 10-minute ride that followed, she told me that... um, Basically, before she came to school, she was essentially homeless, living in her car, and her family was totally out of the picture. And she also told me who her advisor was, uh, which happens to be a friend of mine. And I felt it was important that I uh, contact my friend and let her know what was going on. And within the hour, support was available to this student. Margaret's not the only driver who's learned from her passengers. Both Dennis and Randy had similar experiences. I can learn something about what their experience has been, you know, what their life has been over the last several years. I just had a young man I picked up, works at one of the 
local restaurants. And um, as I was taking him there, he was telling me that uh, where he's going is near one of the old hospitals. So I learned about where the old hospital is up on South Quarry, which I never knew. I'm the driver I am today because of my passengers. It gives us a better outlook, you know, like people don't look at us like we're rushing to get rid of them, you know, we're helping them to enjoy the Ithaca and show them a little bit about it. Most of the shortcuts I've learned, I've learned from my passengers. I mean, they've taught me a lot of things about the city that I didn't know. And some of the stories have left a permanent spot in the driver's minds. I picked the Medicaid up when it was going out to, uh, towards Enfield. And I'd heard about him. My last name's Burlingame, and so was his. And we got talking when we pulled in the driveway. I went to write down his name, and we found out that we was related. But uh, we, I never did pick him up again to find out how or anything. That was rather ironic. Over this past summer, ride-sharing was made legal in Ithaca. Wayne admits that the taxis do have their loyal customers, but business has certainly slowed down since this change. I think the, the college kids are used to using Uber wherever they're from, and so they just continued the habit when they came back into town here. So it's taken, um, it's taken a toll on our nights to some degree. Again, this is Margaret back with us in the WICB studio. It's experiences like that that make you feel like you want a local driver. You want somebody who knows the community and the people in it. Despite the increase in competition, these taxi drivers still say that cabs offer personal connections that riders just can't get by ordering a car through apps like Uber and Lyft. For instance, when there's time, Dennis takes his customers on a mini tour of Ithaca, showing them the natural beauty of the local area. Like most of the drivers, they live in this area, you know, and they're part of this community. And, you know, we all can uh, benefit from that. Whereas if you have students, for instance, coming in, they're just doing uh, a job driving people around to make extra money, and they're only going to be here for a certain amount of time, and then they're moving on. You really can't establish any roots. You know, I love being a little uh, semi-professional tourist because I'm interested. Instead of staying on 13, let's go off and through Fall Creek. And I'll tell you about the porch fest that they have every year, which is fantastic. After our interview with her in the WICB studio, we got back on the road with Margaret. People of different big backgrounds don't easily mix. You have to make an effort. Um, because in Ithaca, we look after each other, right? For Sarah Herbakowitz, I'm Madison Fernandez, WICB News. It's the season for training at the Cayuga Heights Fire Department. WICB correspondent Elena Peach spoke to the fire chief and some of the fire department's volunteers to get an inside look at the training process. The Cayuga Heights Fire Department serves the residents in the village of Cayuga Heights and surrounding areas of Tompkins County. This station is all volunteer ran and gets new recruits by holding two volunteer training sessions per year. I caught up with Fire Chief George Tamborelli at their fall training session. 
So we're at Security Heights Fire Station. Uh, we are in the second day of our recruit training, our fall 2017 recruit training program. Uh, we've got 12 recruits out here uh, doing various stations uh, for the training. Uh, out front, we're doing pumps and generators. Uh, in the back parking lot, we've got saws, chainsaws, and the K-12 rescue saw. And then over in the grass, we're doing ladders. When it comes to training volunteers, Tamarelli says about a third of their new recruits are students at Cornell University. Typically, these students want to enter the medical field. I really want to become an EMT, so I'm hoping to take away more skills from that and also just learning how to like work cooperatively under pressure with a group. That's Lindsay McMahon. She's a junior biology student at Cornell University. She attended the training session because she wanted... I want to become more of a member of the Ithaca community outside of Cornell. So being a part of the village of Cayuga Heights Fire Department, I feel, is a good way to do that. And also, I've been a lifeguard for over five years, so I wanted to take my professional rescue skills to the next level. So, yeah. Reporting from the Cayuga Heights Fire Station, Elena Peach, WICB News. If you've ever submitted a job or college application, you've likely heard of affirmative action, a policy of favoring members of disadvantaged groups. Ever since its implementation in the U.S., it sparked controversy, with many wondering if the policy is in itself discriminatory. WICB correspondent Salisa Kalako used research in her own experiences to dig into this topic. Four years ago, when I was busy applying to colleges, my mom gave me a piece of advice. She told me not to say that I was Asian in my applications and to put down another race instead. She thought that if I listed myself as Asian, I wouldn't have a good chance of getting into good schools. It was her belief that my being Asian would hurt my opportunities. My mom is not the only person who thinks this. There are many other people in the United States who think affirmative action is, in one way or another, a discriminatory process. The problem, however, is that this belief is more fiction than fact. But before we get into the myths and falsehoods that surround affirmative action, we need to define it first. So, what really is affirmative action, and what does it do? Let's set up a scene. We're at a running track. At the starting line are white people and people of color. And at the finish line are opportunities, including higher education. The lane that the white runners are in is pretty clear. It's a relatively straight shot to the finish line. But the lane filled with people of color is riddled with obstacles that will make it more difficult to cross the finish line. This is where affirmative action comes in. It tries to remove some of these obstacles people of color have historically faced so that they have a fairer chance at crossing that finish line. The white men that were able to succeed in this country and white families as a result of that, accruing wealth from generation to generation, were able to do so because the playing field was trimmed down. That was Fong Nguyen. He's a professor at the California State University, Monterey Bay, who studies affirmative action and the history of Asians in the United States. Lots of uh, women, lots of people of color were denied the opportunity to compete on that playing field. But here's the thing. A lot of people don't see affirmative action this way. Some people think affirmative action is a quota system, where colleges only admit applicants of color to fill certain racial quotas. But this simply is not true. In the case Regents of the University of California versus Bach, the Supreme Court concluded that colleges cannot use a racial quota system. Nevertheless, people still strongly believe that students are being admitted into colleges 
because of their race. This has led to some students suing universities for allegedly discriminating against them because of their race. Nguyen noted that this myth is based on the idea of meritocracy. In a meritocracy, any person can accomplish anything simply through hard work and determination. So this idea that unqualified minorities um, are, are taking away opportunities from qualified people ignores this history in which men and white people in general have had, uh, you know, what Chris Rock wants to, likes to call a 200-year head start on the rest of the population. Surprisingly enough, white people are not the only ones rallying against affirmative action. In fact, there's a small yet vocal minority of Asian Americans who, like my mom, believe affirmative action discriminates against them. There are currently two lawsuits against Harvard University and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill that says these colleges use racial quotas to limit the number of Asians accepted. And, starting in August, the Department of Justice chose to investigate affirmative action policies on the basis that they discriminate against Asian Americans. Corey Liu is a representative from Students for Fair Admissions, a nonprofit group that supports and represents students who believe their race was unfairly used against them in the college admissions process. Just like my mom, Liu believes Asians are disadvantaged by affirmative action policies. You know, at the end of the day, when they use race as a huge factor in college admissions, those things are overlooked, right? And, it, and so for those Asian American immigrants, it doesn't matter how hard they work. Their race... Mm-hmm will be held against them in the application process. But Nguyen disagrees. He thinks these ideas about affirmative action are misguided. And I think a lot of Asian Americans are selling themselves short. If they really um, take this debate, this anti-affirmative action debate, to its logical conclusion, which is not really asking whether Asian Americans are rewarded uh, equitably for other types of achievements and and struggles. The idea that affirmative action rewards undeserving students can result in students of color being mistreated and harassed once they step onto a college campus. Joe Cruz, a junior at Ithaca College, has experienced this firsthand. I was in my freshman year uh, Latino Studies, Intro to Latino Studies class, and I told my story. It was a lot of me getting called an affirmative action baby, me getting called an anchor baby, and then me getting called my favorite, a brown sob story. There are some people who believe that we no longer need affirmative action, but there are still many institutional barriers that can prevent people of color from certain opportunities, including higher education. One study done by the New York Times shows that, even with affirmative action, blacks and Hispanics are still underrepresented at colleges and universities. Another study by 538 found that affirmative action bans in some states hurt black and Hispanic enrollment even more. Affirmative action um, kind of helps to stop the idea that white people can turn turn a cheek, turn a blind eye to these issues, right? As we await the findings of the Justice Department's investigation, it's important to understand the role of affirmative action today. Because for communities of color that often find themselves behind white people in many aspects, affirmative action is just one way to move them closer to the finish line. For WICB News, I'm Salisa Kalakal. We'll be right back after a short break. Coming up, we'll hear from Sarah Warner, a Cornell University professor whose class is producing Climates of Change, a play that just launched this weekend. You're listening to Ithaca Now on 91.7 FM. It takes a little over an hour and can save up to three lives. 
you know, donating blood. Ithaca and Tompkins County have tons of opportunities to donate blood throughout the year. With the Red Cross, you can either make an appointment or just walk right on in. To find a blood drive near you, head to redcrossblood.org or call 1-800-RED-CROSS. This message brought to you by WICB. It's clear that climate change is a global issue impacting every area of our planet. But how has climate change specifically impacted areas like Ithaca? This answer is explored in the play Climates of Change, a collaboration between Cornell University students, climatologist Toby Alt, and the Ithaca community. The play launched this weekend, but listeners still have the opportunity to attend tomorrow's performance, which will be at 1 p.m. at the Cornell Campus Sustainability Summit. This past week, I sat down with Sarah Warner, who co-teaches the class Theater and Social Change, which helped produce the play. She talked to me about her students, climate science, and what she hopes the audience take from the performance. We're here in the studio with Sarah Warner. Could you introduce yourself and just talk about what your role is in this project that we're discussing today? Sure. I'm an associate professor on the other hill at Cornell University, um, and I work in the Department of Performing and Media Arts. And um, I am co-teaching a class this semester, Theater and Social Change, with Godfrey Simmons, who is a professor in our department and also one of the founders of Civic Ensemble, Ithaca's local community justice theater company. And we um, applied for a grant to work with a climatologist, Toby Alt, and Godfrey's partner, um, Sarah Kay Chalmers, and we are creating a living newspaper. It's a play that explores the human impact of climate change in the Finger Lakes. Could you just tell us a little bit about this project? Um, how did it get started? So my niece is actually um, a junior at the University of Michigan studying Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. And through my conversations with her, I came to understand just how dire the climate crisis is. Like I knew it. It was on my radar, and I try to do the good things that people in Ithaca do. But I really didn't understand how pressing it was, in part because it's not in the media all the time. And that actually inspired me to talk with Godfrey about making that the focus of our class. Then we met Toby Alt and are partnering with him, and it really is the most pressing issue of our time, and it's not covered adequately in the media for a whole host of reasons that we explore in the play. So you're talking about climate change in general, not specifically in this region? It's a little bit of both. Okay. So what we did for the class is we introduced students, some of whom are performing in media arts majors, but some of whom are environmental scientists or physicists or math majors or marketing majors, just people from all over the Cornell campus. And we introduced them to two things um, during the sort of typical, normal portion of the class, uh, the techniques of applied theater and then also the science of climate change. And so what we did was, working with Sarah K. Chalmers from Civic Ensemble, students participated in story circles with locals, farmers, frackers, growers, scientists, normal citizens, people with the Enfield Wind Farm, just a variety of folks from Tompkins County. So they conducted story circles um, and interviews with these people, and then we took that information and spliced it together with the actual science of climate change, and we created a fictional protagonist and story to weave everything together. So these story circles, from what I read, so it's basically the students sitting down with these farmers and other scientists 
ordinary people and just having conversations with them. Mm-hmm. They're structured conversations. So Story Circle is it's a cool format. So we're using two main techniques in the class. The first is the Story Circle, and it was developed by this group called Roadside Theater in that works in Appalachia with underserved communities there. And it's a way of deep listening. So it's a structured forum of conversation where everyone listens very carefully to a story of a member in the group. You can't judge. You can't interrupt. But when it's over, you reflect on that process. So we took that story circle, and then the format of the play is a living newspaper. And this is a very interesting mode of theater. Um, Folks here on the Ithaca College campus may know about it. It was developed in Russia um, at the turn of the last century during the revolutionary period, And it was a way to combat the government propaganda that's going on. And so it migrated to the United States through Germany in the 1930s. And it was part of the Federal Theater Project, which was a federally funded program during the Depression to put theater actors, directors, various creatives and journalists to work. You know, they were they were having a very hard time in the Depression and This form takes them and it takes actual news and dramatizes current events in an entertaining and engaging way. And it's a way to combat propaganda. And we thought in this particular historical moment where truth is seemingly arbitrary and we are inundated with fake news, that it was time to bring this format to Ithaca. We'll be right back after a short break. Coming up, we'll hear more from Sarah Warner, a Cornell professor who's involved in the play Climates of Change. You're listening to Ithaca Now on 91.7 FM. Hey, try this. Are you serious? Trust me, it's delicious. Wow, that is good. What did I tell you? Start living a healthier life today by swapping one snack food for a healthier option. Now you know, pass it on. This message is brought to you by 92WICB Ithaca. Want to hear more female artists on the Station for Innovation? Tune in to Eve Out Loud to hear a variety of female-fronted music. Sunday nights at 8 on 92WICB. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. If you're just joining us, we're hearing now from Sarah Warner, Cornell University professor whose class is producing Climates of Change, a play focusing on climate change that just launched this weekend. So what did you learn from this project? That can be something relating to climate science. Did you learn anything else just about this whole process? I sat in on a number of Toby Alt's um, lectures in his climate class, and I brushed up on my physics, which I haven't used in over 20 (laughs) years. So I learned a lot about the science of greenhouse gases and climate change and what's actually possible. One of the things we want to do with this performance is is not make people feel bad, but to empower them with this technique of the living newspaper to see that they can make small changes and that these small changes can have a huge impact over time and through accumulation. So that's that's the message we want to promote is that everybody can do something and that that something can make a difference. So I learned about climate science and I also learned about the Finger Lakes. I learned what kind of devastating impact the drought has had and the floods have had. I mean, some farmers lost tens of thousands of dollars in seeds they had just planted 
I learned about the water crisis. I learned about the ways in which climate change disproportionately impacts people in lower income brackets and people of color. And I certainly look, I'm, I grew up in Louisiana and I know a lot about hurricanes, but I also learned how they are increasing in intensity and frequency because of these extreme weather patterns, because of global warming. And so I looked at what happened in Texas and Puerto Rico and the Caribbean in general with a, with a much keener eye. That's fascinating. So what do you think we can do and what do you think these performances will accomplish? Well, there's two parts of that. First is what did it mean to the students? Mm-hmm. And again, we're working with a mixed group. We have undergraduates and graduates from departments all across campus. And I think they learned a great deal about the science of climate change and about the power of theater to intervene in social crises. And that, that's what we were trying to show. Theater alone is not going to start a revolution, but it can certainly dramatize problems in a way that inspire and engage people to take action. And that's what we were hoping for. And so it renewed my faith in the arts at a moment when they are also in a state of crisis. Um, and it really dramatized to me uh, the way in which an intersectional approach is necessary You have to talk about climate change, but you also have to talk about race, class, gender, religion, the different ways that this affects how we see the world and what we imagine is possible. But I'm also renewed in my face. The students are amazing, and they are very optimistic about their ability to make a change. They don't feel defeated. They don't feel disillusioned. They see this as the greatest opportunity of their generation. Whereas I think my generation sees it as the greatest threat. And that's really inspiring to me because we have created a mess for them. And they, <laughs> they can imagine a way out of it. So that's incredibly inspiring to me as a teacher. And it's just wonderful to work with them. It's been wonderful to work with Civic Ensemble, who, do's, who does this kind of work all the time in our community. They've created shows about the housing crisis in Ithaca, about police relations, um, about discriminations that that mothers face, and uh, you know, especially single mothers in town. So it's incredible to to work with them as well, and to create connections between Cornell and the greater community to to break that academic town gown divide. And we also have a number of Ithaca College students working with us on this production. So I feel it's it really is a community project. It certainly sounds like it. Um, so anyone who's listening to this and wants to attend the performances next week, um, do you just want to give them some information about that? Yeah, so performances actually start this Friday. Okay. Um, so they run Friday uh, and Saturday. Um, but but listeners to this show will have the opportunity to catch our last performance, uh, which is Monday at Cornell University in the Biotech Building. We are the closing event of the Sustainability Summit. And that's at one one o'clock. All right. And where else can someone find this information? Is there uh, a link? Yes. You can go to Civic Ensemble's webpage, civicensemble.com. And you can also go to the Cornell Department of Performing and Media Arts, pma.cornell.edu. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great talking yeah, to you. Yeah, thank you so much, Anna. That's all we have for you on this edition of Ithaca Now.
We want to hear your feedback on our show. Visit WICB.org slash feedback to give your thoughts on Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org slash news. And if you'd like to listen to past broadcasts, subscribe to our podcast on the iTunes podcast store. And before we go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard, our station manager, Alex Bredekin, news director, Peter Champelli, and our correspondents, Lily Deerworth, Quinn Theobald, Madison Fernandez, Sarah Herbakowitz, Salisa Skalakul, and Alana Peach. All of the music from our show comes from Dr. Dundiff, hailing from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us, and have a wonderful week. I'm Hannah Bracinger, and you've been listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.